The Spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, plus a £20 Amazon gift voucher, absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher. Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American power, politics and society. On each episode, I will talk to an American expert or an expert on America about something that's going on in America in 2023. I'm delighted to be joined today by two moderately admired spectator contributors. (laughs) Charles Lipson, who is a professor of political science at the University of Chicago, and a frequent contributor to Spectator World and Spectator UK, and Jacob Halbrin, who is the editor of The National Interest, a fellow at the Atlantic Council. Is that right, Jacob, or is that... You've, you've kept that going, well done. And uh, also writes for The Spectator in America and the United Kingdom. And we're going to be talking about the Hunter Biden story and its relationship to President Joe Biden. Charles, you wrote uh, an interesting piece this week about the walls closing in, possibly, on President Joe Biden in relation to the Hunter Biden story. And this is something I'm pretty interested in because it seems to me that there has always been a suspicion ever since the Hunter Biden story broke and the laptop and so on and this email, 10% for the big guy, there's been a suspicion that not only was Hunter Biden influence peddling, making a lot of money from the fact that his father was vice president, but that also possibly his father knew about and was potentially, allegedly, potentially, whatever you want to say, also making money out of these very, very lucrative deals. Joe Biden calls this malarkey still, but the evidence keeps coming in and it doesn't seem to be going very well for Joe Biden. And yet it's not a major scandal. Where, where are we with this, with this story, Charles? The first thing I would say is that the three presidential candidates that we have last had on the ballot, Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, and Joe Biden, have all had really major problems. In the case of Hillary Clinton, it was not only what she was doing with regard to Russia. We now know that essentially all the accusations against Trump were uh, things that her own campaign was doing. Uh, but that she and her husband set up an industrial scale grifting operation where people were paying money essentially for proximity to people in, in power. Trump, who is now under indictment for some important things like keeping classified documents in unclassified locations, refused, uh, saying he had returned them all when he hadn't, All of those are very important. But to me, the most important thing is that he has failed to do what a candidate, losing candidate in any constitutional democracy's first duty is, which is to acknowledge that he was defeated or show that he was not, that he was truly elected and only kept out of office by fraud, which Trump has not succeeded in doing and still refuses to acknowledge his defeat. The thing with Joe Biden is that we know the family had 
a massive grifting operation that their only thing that they were selling was essentially access to power. What we don't know is whether uh, Joe Biden knew about that operation, and it seems inconceivable to any ordinary observer that he wouldn't know. It went on for years and involved multiple family members. He went on a lot of trips with his son where his son did business. I'm talking about 21-hour flights back from China and the like, where it's just inconceivable. You wouldn't say, hey, what did you do while you were there? And then we now have new evidence that there was a lot of political pressure put on people who were doing the investigation, independent investigators at the Internal Revenue Service, the tax service in the United States, that they were that they were essentially told they could not do any investigation of Joe Biden when his name came up in uh, tax investigations related to Hunter. Those investigations led to a very mild plea agreement, which could have been executed in about a month by the U.S. attorney, but took five years during which the statute of limitations ran out on everything. That's a long-winded answer to say that we have a serious problem of prospective illegal acts, and corrupt exploitation of positions by all of our top candidates in the last three elections. Jacob, you and I did many podcasts about Russiagate, Trump and Russia, and we often said, and I think you won't mind me saying, you often suggested that this bit of evidence might be the smoking gun that finally brings down Trump. I think if the roles were reversed and Donald Trump was Joe Biden... You would look at this evidence and say, there's a smoking gun here. There is no smoking gun for a simple reason. As I listened to Charles, it fortified my growing conviction that there is no longer anything such as a political scandal in the United States. (laughs) (laughs) The reason being that the American public appears to be tapped out on scandals. And it started, the whole scandal culture began during the Watergate era. And after that, the Democrats engaged in frenzied pursuits of Republican politicians, including Ronald Reagan. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not defending Iran-Contra, But again and again, you had these attempts to to blow up uh, these into impeachment. And we've reached the reducto ad absurdum now. Uh, Trump has definitively, I think, at least for our era, demolished the conception of a political scandal. He's created so many and nothing seems to matter. And I think the same phenomenon is probably occurring among the Democrats. Now, I don't agree with Charles. I mean, I I think the Hunter Biden thing is bad, whether the amazing thing is that he was as successful as he was, because I I view Hunter Biden as as a basket case. 
Um, but no, I don't think that the Hunter Biden scandal is going to affect Joe Biden because the Democrats are probably in the same position where the Republicans are. They don't care. Well, I, I mean, I suppose uh, when you say that Hunter, that, that Donald Trump has ruined it, I mean, could you not say that it's Donald Trump's critics and the people that were determined to bring him down have actually damaged the concept of scandal? Because for a long time, I'm not saying there aren't scandalous things about Donald Trump, but for a long time they were pursuing things about Donald Trump that were just not that damaging or bad or real. Well, I mean, I, I don't want to relitigate the, the whole, the whole Trump let's era. Let's not do I that. Mean, you know, you could argue where there's smoke, there's fire. Look, there were a lot of Trump contacts during the campaign. The Mueller report did not exonerate Donald Trump. I appeared before the Mueller commission myself. They investigated my organization. And, and found nothing amiss. My, my perception simply is that when Jared Kushner can walk off with these billion dollar deals and Cutter can, you know, finance his, his 666 Fifth Avenue building and Donald Trump now we know has this billion dollar deal with Oman, Hunter Biden is small fry next to this. I mean, the, his only, uh, his, the, only, the only peculiar thing about him is, is that he didn't get more money. I mean, that, that's, that's, that seems to be the ethos today in America. I'd be interested what Charles thinks about that. Yes, Charles. Let, oh, let I think there's plenty of grifting on the, uh, on the Trump side. I would say that it's important to recognize that Trump's wealth was built on inheritance, his own real estate developments, and television. There is uh, no uh, evidence that the Biden family could do anything other than exploit their public position for whatever wealth they have, which is small potatoes in terms of dollars compared to, to the Trump family. There is a problem, however, in, in saying that I think one of life's little lessons is don't make a drug addict your bag man, your family bag man. But when the defense that uh, that Hunter is utterly incompetent contradicts the fact that he was making millions of dollars for doing what he was doing, he's either uh, in, in. But the problem, I don't think Hunter Biden is worth a tinker's dam. I don't think James Biden, the president's brother, the same way. The problem is that Joe Biden has said he knew nothing and did nothing. That's increasingly hard to believe. And if the whistleblowers at the IRS are correct, then a lot of people stepped in to make sure there was no investigation. A final point, I've been watching, reading the New York Times and Washington Post, I subscribe to both, as I suspect both of you do. And you just can't find this story about Hunter Biden in there. They, I mean, it's just completely buried. So they're at least exhausted with any stories about corruption involving Joe Biden. And I can tell you when they'll start to cover it, when they think he can't be elected and they want to get a different person in there. 
Well, there was a story by Peter Baker, I think, yesterday on the front page of the New York Times, the front the and in prominently featured in the website. Yeah, saying now, that the WhatsApp thing was real, right? Right, and arguing and right. pointing out that Joe Biden is now publicly embracing Hunter Biden, and the Paul. Now, there, I would probably be with Charles. Yeah. I think that that is not going to serve him well, and the Democrats are quivering over Biden's support, his enthusiasm for his son. Now, Biden justifies that, claiming that Hunter would would spin out of control and he's just being a good papa. But uh, it could well cost him politically. And it's a signal to the bureaucracies that might do anything to investigate him or the like. Remember, he's the head of the executive branch, and he said in an earlier interview that his son had done nothing wrong. That was a statement that he should not have made. He could have made it as a father, and if he were a senator or representative or something, would have been appropriate. He should have said, I love my son, but as head of the executive branch, I really shouldn't say anything that involves any legal cases or investigations that involve him. That would have been the proper thing to say. He didn't say it. But Charles... Yes, and his son his son was clearly splashing around in waters that were deeper than he could swim in. When I said that he's incompetent, I mean that I'm surprised he made as much money as he did, given... So why do you think he made it? There's no, there's no question. He was trading on the family name. So then the question for you and me is... Did his father know anything about that, which he has claimed he did not, and uh, many times claimed he did not? Did he do anything to aid his son in, in those things? Those are those are obvious questions. And then, did bureaucrats uh, in charge of these investigations and U.S. attorneys and the like do anything specifically to shield Joe Biden with or without Joe Biden's knowledge that they were doing that. But did they do anything like that? We have a direct contradiction between the statements of the whistleblowers and the statements of the attorney general. They both need to be put under oath and we need to know who's telling the truth and who's not. I wouldn't disagree with that. Sorry, Freddie. High praise. High praise. Wouldn't disagree. I love that. No, I like it. I like uh, Well, I I think, uh, Charles, you alluded to something uh, that I think perhaps you too and and I'd agree with here, that there is this sort of suggestion that at some stage the Democrats are going to get on board with the Hunter Biden scandal, that they're going to think this is a good way of pushing Joe Biden out because he is – too decrepit, and he's he's not performing well publicly, and they're going to accept that this is the case, and they will use the Hunter Biden scandal to to get him out. This idea, which is quite prevalent in Washington and, and in New York, I know from my little bit of experience, it, it strikes me as very odd that the, and it speaks to a sort of decadent political culture, that the scandal isn't what matters. It's whether the Democrats decide to use the scandal to get... Joe Biden out the way because he's not working for them politically. I think uh, I think uh, Jacob is the best person to comment on that because he knows that world better than I do. Honestly, yeah, Freddie, I don't I don't see it at this point because um, the the Democratic establishment does not have an effective way of putting in a viable alternative to Biden right now. 
I think these these are this is wishful thinking among Democrats who are nervous that Biden will suffer a heart attack in September or October of 2024. And then what happens? And I think that's what Donald Trump is banking on. I don't think that Trump can defeat Joe Biden, actually, in November. But if you have a health episode and Kamala Harris is the candidate, all bets are off in November. And Trump has had a streak of luck like that throughout his career. That's a really interesting point, uh, Jacob. Let me build on it for a, uh, a second. I think that the uh, issue of, I would add, the issue of cognitive decline is now becoming more obvious. We've, I mean, the, it's not just that they're gaps. He's always been gaff prone. But when you keep repeating that the Russians are not winning in Iraq, for example, it, 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 I mean, we all make mistakes, but generally uh, we don't keep repeating the same mistakes and, and so forth. But I think that the Kamala Harris problem is a really important one. She is an African-American. The Democrats really need uniform voting by African-Americans and a large turnout to win. She is obviously a weak candidate. Polls show that she is the least popular vice president in polling history. And I think she richly deserves that, uh, that position. She seems to alienate all of her staff. She doesn't do her preparation. She's inarticulate. They can't send her out on the road to help their candidates, except in private meetings for fundraising and the like. But pushing her out is simply an impossible thing for them to do. And as you suggest, they don't really have a deep bench. There are some people who I think would be strong candidates at the national level, but they they simply are blocked as long as Joe Biden stays uh, stays in power and says, I'm going to keep running. And if he steps out, the a prospect of Kamala Harris as president or heading the ticket while these other Democrats are on the ballot is, is a prospect that they do not relish. Then the other issue is to what degree does she serve as a drag on the ticket? Because That's right. voters will be anticipating that Biden may not serve out a second term. But that, but that's also the issue for Republicans with Trump at the top of the ticket. How would you like to be running in Scarsdale or Winnetka or uh, or any of the uh, educated uh, professional suburbs around the country, Concord, Lexington, and Massachusetts, or any place else, with Donald Trump at the top of the ticket? Right. Now there's talk that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. wants to serve as Trump's vice presidential candidate. <laughs> Jeez. That would be interesting. I want. Let's get back to this idea uh, briefly about whether um, there is scandal still has any force in American politics. Jacob, I think that you may be right that People just generally shrug at scandal. They assume it's there's darker things going on, and they're usually right. There are maneuverings going on behind what we think are scandals. But people don't like being lied to repeatedly, and they certainly don't like hypocrisy. And I think when people look at Trump, a lot of people look at Trump, they do see a liar and they do see a hypocrite to a certain extent, but they don't see the 
the grandstanding about the importance of democracy and values and norms and so on. And so when Joe Biden is embroiled in a scandal, um, it hurts him more because he's supposed to be this good guy. I'll change one word. When to if. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's premature. They may, that Biden may well be able to put the Hunter Biden matter in the rear view of his Corvette and motor on to success. So far, there has been no viable uh, scandal that has attached itself to him. Yes. You don't think that the current scandals are viable? I don't think it's enough. You need more evidence. You would have to directly link Joe Biden either to aiding and abetting Hunter or to attempt to suppress the federal bureaucracy from pro from prosecuting his son more vigorously. I actually think that that's largely true. Uh, surprisingly, I, I think that that uh, they have to come up with with more on this regard. I mean, one of the odd things, don't you think, both Freddie and, and uh, Jacob, is that the Democrats are going hell after uh, Donald Trump, who is in most ways the weakest general election candidate the Republicans could put forward while the Republicans are going after, after Joe Biden, who is in many ways, uh, aside from Kamala Harris, the weakest candidate the, Demo uh, the Democrats could put forward. It could be that, that this election is, is the last gasp of this elderly baby boom generation. I mean, maybe... Don't, don't say that about me. Well, don't say uh, that about me, man. <laughs> we, we brought you Woodstock. <laughs> I wasn't there, so I wouldn't know. I didn't get anything. Um, I, I, there's, there is something peculiar about this, about this election uh, that we, we're, we seem to be stuck in stasis. Yes, but I mean, I think maybe the, the, the hope with, with both potential scandals, whether you want to look at Trump's documents or Hunter Biden, is that it will take a scandal to break the stasis and that otherwise we are heading inexorably towards a repeat of the 2020 election, which depressed everyone anyway. But, you know, it doesn't matter. The American public doesn't always get what it wants. I mean, you know, people are going to have to suck it up. Um, the Republican base wants Donald Trump. He is roaring to victory, apparently, so far. Now, things could change. But right now, the more the Democrat, I mean, not, I shouldn't say the Democrats, but the more that the Justice Department targets Donald Trump, the more popular he becomes. Well, I think that the worst of the targeting was really uh, Alvin Bragg in New York. That was a very weak case. I mean, I think you could bring it against an ordinary real estate developer, but to bring it against a former president for the first time in 150 years or something, uh, seems like it was overreach. I, I do think that you should really look at all of these scandals against the backdrop that the public's trust in all institutions in the U.S. has dropped precipitously. And I think the only institution in the United States that has above 50 percent 
trust is the U.S. military, and they're working very hard to destroy that by entering into a lot of woke indoctrination and so forth. You can think that's good or you can think it's bad, but I think that a lot of people think that it's entering into a, a much more explicit and controversial political realm than it it should be doing. So all of these scandals have to be viewed against the backdrop of lack of trust. It's worth noting that populism, which uh, is triumphant in the Republican Party under Trump and has a foothold in the Democratic Party under people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and, and so forth, that those are not all about due process and strengthening our institutions. They actually, in many ways, undermine them, and they sort of are without guardrails. But there's a problem with your analysis, Charles, which is that the, that the mistrust in many ways is justified. It just took Americans a while to wise up. I mean... The American, oh, I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with right. that. Right. I'm just I'm saying. I'm not disagreeing with that. I, I don't think that's necessarily an unhealthy development. It used to be that the government would lie and people would believe it. The U2 incident, for example, when Eisenhower lied about it. Back then, people were shocked. You know, you look at the abuses of American government power, the internment of the Japanese, propaganda during World War One. Watergate. I mean, there are reasons, I, I'm sure you won't disagree, to, to be suspicious of government or, or of authority. I agree. But what you have, uh, I, I'm just saying that instead of pushing on a closed door of strong governmental institutions that are well-trusted, you're dashing through an open door of mistrusted institutions and broken glass. Correct. And the institutions would have to be repaired to merit the trust. And right now, right. I don't think they do. Right. And, and you have things like the Democratic Party saying that we need to pack the Supreme Court because they don't like the decisions. You'll hear more of that after the affirmative action decisions that the Supreme Court has just rendered and some of the religious liberty decisions that they've that they've just rendered. So people are quite willing, and indeed it's part of the progressive agenda since Woodrow Wilson began articulating it around 1900, that our old constitution is not the one we should be governed by. We, we need to change all of our institutions. And the problem is that when you, when you put that agenda on top of the mistrust of institutions, you destabilize the democracy. Well, the liberals today sound like the conservatives from the late 1950s or 1960s. It's the same language about a tyrannical imperial court. I mean, you could, you could switch the phrases. It's, it, they're just mouthing the same shibboleths today. Yeah, but there's a there's a huge difference. I grew up in the last days of the Jim Crow South, right? And there were billboards all over the place, right. impeach Earl Warren and, right. and that sort of thing. So there was a distinction, I think, between 
sort of standard conservatives who who thought that the court was making politicized decisions and people who wanted to attack the court frontally. Well, I, I was thinking of uh, Brent Bazell specifically at the time, but um, that's mm-hmm. a whole not- we're going to take Freddie's going to slaughter both of us for taking this conversation too far afield. No, not at all. I mean, I could end up, I could listen to this for hours, but we probably should. I thought I'd come back to something that you touched on, Jacob, that Joe Biden can always say he was being a good, I think you said pop pop. Right, papa. A pop. Yeah, he was being a good father because he loves his son. And this speaks to something that happens in British politics too, which is a kind of sentimentality takes over the way people think. And it's a kind of mawkishness. And actually, the it works with the public because the public are pretty sentimental too. And that it doesn't really matter whether Joe Biden may have taken money from his son's business dealings. What's more important to a lot of people is that he loves his son, even though his son's a drug addict. And it's a nice story. What do you think about that, Charles? Is that something that Americans think about? Uh, do they think in the same way? Or does it just depend how they feel politically, whether they find it emotional? Or- oh, I think you've touched on something very important. The first Mayor Daley in Chicago, Mayor Richard J. Daley, Da Mayor, as he was called at the time, his uh, one of his sons was accused, credibly, correctly, of uh, being uh, of selling insurance to basically everybody who did business with the city, right? I mean, this is standard politics in Chicago. So Mayor Daley, the elder holds a press conference, maybe early 60s, late 50s. He has his family behind him. And he says, if a father can't help his son like this, what is the world coming to? <laughs> you know? <And laughs> it was just perfect. He didn't say, he didn't do it. He says, this is my son. Of course I'm going to help him. <laughs> but Joe Biden has gone beyond that. Joe Biden has said, I love my son. Everybody, all, Parents can completely understand that. I sympathize with him dealing with a drug problem. Uh, Families all across uh, the world can sympathize with that. What What they can't sympathize with is any direct involvement in monetizing Joe's position through his family. And they don't understand, for example, if it were to be widely reported, they wouldn't understand um, why dozens of LLCs, these uh, corporate shell entities, were set up by Hunter Biden and family to move all their money through. The only purpose for that, no legitimate business people do that. They were doing it in order to hide where the money ultimately went. We do not have any evidence that Joe Biden directly enriched himself other than Hunter's email to his daughter, which must be taken with more than a grain of salt, just like the WhatsApp message saying, I'm sitting beside my father and we're jointly coercing you. But he sent a message to his daughter saying, my father takes what was it, 50% of my earnings or something like that. So we we have at least some indications of this 
uh, of this corruption. But it's just incredible to me. Joe Biden met with these people many, many times and the business partners of Hunter, I'm, I'm saying. And I think that after he's agreed to plead guilty to a felony, to these three charges, two misdemeanors, I believe, and a felony, no jail time. And then Joe decides to invite him to a state dinner, which he doesn't have to do, and take him to Camp Camp David that weekend before the judge has made a final disposition of the case. That doesn't look good at all. And it looks even worse when you have whistleblowers saying that as we began investigating Hunter and Joe Biden's name came up in many of these investigations, we were explicitly told by higher ups that we could not investigate any of those things. And we went, when we went to get certain documents and interview certain people, Hunter Biden's lawyers were tipped off in advance. Those people disappeared and the documents disappeared from where we were going to go search. All that stinks to high heaven. And if it were widely known and widely reported, it would be a real problem. And so I don't know how this all shakes out, but it's against the background that uh, Joe Biden is a very weak candidate helped only by the fact that uh, as a general election candidate, his Republican opponent uh, seems to be just as weak and perhaps weaker. I wonder, Jacob, if uh, America's egalitarian spirit is not sort of breaking down a bit, because maybe you're becoming like other countries, other democracies, Latin America, Asia, where if you're the son of a president, you're effectively a princeling. And that sure, people might pursue you, but actually, you'll always end up getting off because you are a, a princeling. You have a different status. Well, this the, the Latin Americanization of American politics has been written about quite a bit, especially by the uh, political scientists. I don't know. I say I think... that with great respect, Jacob. Say <laughs> say that word with awe. Yeah. They're very respected in Latin America. I'm still <laughs> trying to excogitate how you, with your political views, uh, be- became a successful political scientist, given the nature of American academia. But that might be a discussion for another session. <laughs> um, the Hunter Biden as a princeling, I don't know. It, you know, if worst came to worst, I suppose Biden would have to give a checkers speech. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that Hunter would become his uh, Republican cloth coat. Well, but I, I'm sure that Charles feels confident that the crack team of House Republicans who have pledged to launch multiple <laughs> investigations will, with their typical assiduity, thoroughness and uh, perspicuity, uh, get to the bottom of this case in the, in the, next, in the coming months. Well, <laughs> just just lastly, Jacob, I mean, let's talk about Trump and his family, because when Trump was president and post-presidency, he's often tried to, obviously, he involves his family in his politics, and he's often tried to sort of PR that, you know, the children are an important part of his brand. They talk a lot about how much their father loved them, and although he was obviously an unusual father, he was a very good father, they say. Um, not a very good husband necessarily, but he 
he does seem to have cared for his children and so on. But it doesn't seem to work for Trump in the same way, the, the, the sort of family man PR in the way that it does for Biden, possibly because Biden's had tragedy in his family and that adds to the sentimentality that we were talking about. Possibly, but I do think that for Trump it was essential that the family came out at the Republican convention in uh, 2016. I think that was a big lift for him, uh, that he could present a family that had stayed together. I think absent that, he, he, would, he would have had a much rougher road in the election. So I think Trump did benefit from that. I don't think his family has been a drag on his electoral prospects. I think Ivanka has helped him. Don Jr. obviously is very popular with the Republican base. So I think actually Biden in some ways had a tougher road. I think Hunter is more of a drag because he's so publicly, he's been publicly dissolute. If you see the pictures of him with, I don't know, you know, I mean, the, the women, the prostitutes, the drugs, you know, it's not just like he went astray. It's actual debauchery. Charles, you want to have a last word on debauchery? Uh, I'm in favor <laughs> of it. Spoken well by the defender of Woodstock. That's, that's political science talking. Thank you both very much for coming on to Americano. Uh, it's been fun. I hope we'll get you both on again another time. Thank you, Freddie. This could become I'm- a roadshow. Really, I enjoy crossing swords with you, uh, Jacob. Uh, in fact, I think that these things are all too rare. Um, I th- uh, let me just conclude by saying that I think that the problem, and I see it all the time now in American politics, is American politics has become much more ideological, and in that regard, much more like uh, British politics have been for a long time long time. But there is something new and uh, more damaging about this ideological politics in America. I now see people thinking that people who differ from them politically are morally inferior. There's something wrong with them. And uh, they don't deserve uh, decent respect. And I've really withheld that that judgment from Jacob. <laughs> Thank you. Well, Charles. you're completely you're completely wrong, Charles. He's a total wrongen. Uh, but we must end it there. And uh, thank you very much both for coming on to Americano. Bye bye. Thanks. Thank you very much for listening to the Americano podcast. I would like to thank my brilliant producer Natasha Faroz and the rest of the Spectators broadcast team. If you like the podcast, please leave a review on whatever platform you are listening to us on. Thank you very much. God bless America.